Let us pray together. Lord God, help set aside the list of things we're supposed to do this afternoon. Help open our hearts and minds to hear words that are so ancient and said so much that we might hear something different as we hear your word in our lives. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. We'd like to invite you to take the Pew Bible, please, and open it to Psalm 23 so that we all may read together the psalm that we all know so well. But this is not the King James Version, which is the real version, we say. And so I want everybody to be reading the same words together. Psalm 23 on page 491. Let us read in unison. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me, In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our New Testament reading comes from John chapter 10, verses 22 to 30. It was in the midst of really an extended discourse, the entirety of chapter 10, where Jesus is talking about the good shepherd. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were gathered around him were saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We were in the VMFA yesterday looking at an exhibit that recently arrived there called Jewels from the Collection of Elizabeth Locke. It is a collection of 92 pieces from 18th, 19th century. Uh, They're these micro-mosaic jewels. From a distance, they appear to be small little paintings about this size. But if you get up close, you use the magnifying glass that the museum has provided you, you can see that, in fact, this is not just a painting. These are these incredibly tiny, individual, beautiful, substantive pieces of glass placed precisely next to one another and forged by fire to create a micro-mosaic. And we're looking at a wall of them done in Britain in the 19th century. And I noticed one 
with a sheep who appears to be walking this way, but whose head is turned the other direction. And the reason its head is turned is because the sheep is listening to the shepherd who is behind the sheep playing a flute. Apparently the sound has caught the sheep, and so the sheep is just held in this gaze with the shepherd and the music and this wonderful pastoral scene. And quietly I'm staring at that and I'm thinking, John chapter 10. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And and realize right then I wanted to mention this in the sermon because I saw how this piece had a a couple really subtle details that bring alive some of Jesus' discourse. Not just from what I read, but really the entirety of of John chapter 10 in in the Good Shepherd. For one, I really appreciate how this author depicts the, the, the shepherd's voice as going forth in music. It helps underscore something Jesus doesn't say, but also something he does say in this well-known line. Jesus does not say, my sheep listen to my words and follow me. He's not saying merely listening to the Bible, hearing all of the right words, will somehow draw sheep to follow. I mean, goodness, Satan himself knows scripture really well, uses scripture, all the right words, with Jesus to tempt Jesus Away from God. Words, right words alone do not suffice. Jesus also doesn't say, my sheep listen to the law and they follow me. As if the sheep listening to the right belief system, right doctrine, the right framework for understanding life and living. As if that alone draws sheep unto following. What Jesus says is, my sheep listen to my voice and follow me. How did Mary know it was Jesus in the garden in John chapter 20? Mary. It's a highly relational line. The way a child has spent so many formative years with their parent and so they can discern a parent's voice from even a huge crowd of adults and follow. Or as the flute playing shepherd makes clear in the micro mosaic, the voice of Jesus has a certain tenor, a certain quality, a certain sound that rings true in the ear of the sheep. And they, and they somehow by that sound, they discern the truth of the song, the goodness of the song, the joy of the song, and they follow. It's, it's not just right words or right creed. It really is the quality of the voice of the good shepherd through those And they follow. Except, why did that micro-mosaic sheep, whose head was turned towards the shepherd, why did it appear as if he might be walking the other way at first? I mean, I'm glad the sheep caught the music and is is looking at the shepherd, but, but why is the sheep's body turned in the opposite direction? Well, I keep looking at this particular jewel, and I notice up in the right-hand corner of this little piece, where initially it just looked like a kind of a black backdrop to the the pastoral scene, there are these hints of, of, of white and gray. And I say, that's a face. A sort of ominous looking face peering into an, again, otherwise wonderfully pastoral looking scene of the sheep turning towards the shepherd. I go over to Michelle and her parents and I say, do you all see anything out of the ordinary with this particular jewel? And, and they look and at first they're not too sure. And Michelle, now she knows me well and, and knows what it means when I have this, this kind of inquisitive energy about me. And she says, Bobby, is any of this going to show up in the sermon tomorrow? 
But I press on. Do you notice anyone else in the picture? <laughs> Looks like a puff of smoke, Michelle's dad says. And it did. There was kind of a fleeting quality to the face's description. Maybe a bit like the ghost of Christmas past and, and the Dickens Christmas Carol, right? But eventually, you do see there's, there's this faint outline of an ominous ghost-like face you really cannot notice unless you draw quite near. And that's when I thought to myself, now there's an artist who's seeing the full picture of John chapter 10 and the Good Shepherd discourse. Earlier in this chapter, before our reading this morning, Jesus, he's, he's unpacking the Good Shepherd discourse. He talks about the stranger's voice versus the Good Shepherd's voice. The stranger, Jesus explains, is, quote, a thief, a robber. The strangers, they come in among the sheep and their voice seeks to, quote, steal, kill, destroy. In context, Jesus is talking about the religious leaders of the day who've, who've come in among the people of Jesus and, and started to spread lies, trying to take away the people of Jesus, perhaps even persecute them. And yet ever since Genesis chapter 3, when the voice of the serpent so cunningly deceived Adam and Eve, this world has known the presence of many voices that compete with and run counter to the voice of God. It's not just the religious leaders of Jesus' day. The stranger's voice is any voice that breaks in, that doesn't belong, that then robs and kills and destroys. Now some of those voices, some of those influences, they seem so obviously bad to us. We really should not follow that voice, that advice, that counsel. The most insidious voices, however, are those strangers we hardly even notice in the picture. And yet they put our feet in motion away from the good shepherd and so start to quietly rob and kill and destroy. As I've shared with some of you, I arrived to uh, my biology 101 class my freshman year of college uh, about midway through the semester, and there was a test, or maybe a quarter way into the semester, there was a test. It was the first test of the year in this class. First test, actually, in my entire life as a college student. Somehow, I had not written down that there would be a test on this day. And so I was genuinely terrified to sit down and realize what was being passed out, and I was utterly unprepared. For some of you, this is like a worst nightmare scenario. Like, you're just, you arrive and didn't know, utterly unprepared. Well, I failed. Now, a healthy person realizes they make a mistake. They get motivated to do a better job next time. In a sense, I did that. But at the same time, if I'm honest, my anxiety rose to a great deal after that moment, that first test. Unconsciously, I started to listen more and more to a voice I did not even know was in the picture, had really been in the picture probably since high school. It was a voice of a near imperceptible stranger who didn't belong, but had broken in, and who kept speaking the simple lie somewhere in the depths of my being. You're not good enough. You don't belong. You don't measure up. Again, I couldn't articulate there was even a voice there, let alone the, what that voice was saying. Not then, not for many years. But if you watch the course of my life those next four years, I was beholden to those words. 
constantly studying harder and longer, regularly putting aside friendships, social outlets, church, extracurriculars. Not because of the, the, the joy of learning that was animating my soul. No, I was, I was terrified. Terrified of failing. Terrified of being found out that actually I'm not good enough. As I've shared in a sermon a few years ago, This voice had such power over me that I eventually cheated on a couple tests in my junior and senior year because the bottom line for me was I needed to make sure I got the grades that said I was good enough, that I belonged, that I measured up. I was bound to that voice at all costs. Many years later, I see that that voice robbed me, following that voice robbed me, robbed others. It robbed me of my integrity, uh, robbed me of my peace. Robbed me of enjoying the wonderful gift of learning and growing for its own sake. Uh, robbed me of more substantial time with friends. Robbed me of hearing more clearly and regularly fully the voice of the Good Shepherd, whose voice alone can actually animate a soul unto its deepest gifts and passions. And of course, it robbed many others of a fully Jesus animated person. Henry Nouwen puts it this way. He's a a Catholic priest and author of the 20th century. Many voices ask for our attention. There's a voice that says, prove that you're a good person. Another voice says, you better be ashamed of yourself. There's also a voice that says, nobody really cares about you. And one that says, be sure to become successful, popular, and powerful. And the common denominator when it comes to all of these voices and voices like them is that they break in among the sheep and they start to rob, kill, and destroy, often speaking directly into some of our innermost fears and anxieties. We didn't even notice they were in the picture. Are you sure you haven't noticed anyone else? In the picture. Of course, a ghost like voice is hard to perceive upon first glance, which is why I truly think the gift of trusted friends, of good counseling for churches, good consulting, I commend each of these gifts wholeheartedly. These gifts are so essential for helping us see more clearly who is in the picture actually and what their voice is doing truly. And not only that, though, also helping us hear again the music that is true and real. I think this is why the artist of these micro-mosaics depicts the face um, of, of the voice of the stranger as, as ghost-like. I mean, yes, in one sense, that, that underscores the subtle hiddenness of the voice that would rob us the most. But it also underscores the ultimately fleeting, empty, untrue quality of that particular voice. Because in love... The good shepherd has laid down his life for the sheep and three days later rose from the grave. And in doing so, what we confess is that he has conquered the most fundamental powers of death, of evil, of sin. And then in his rising, his living voice calls us out by name, Mary. And leads us to dwell in the house of the Lord our whole life long. 
In fact, Jesus makes clear in the passage I read that twice that nothing can snatch us from the hands of Jesus. Which means that no matter how far or wide the voice of a stranger may well have taken us, we're still walking in his hands. We're still home. The stranger's voice at a most essential level has actually been defeated. And if in fact we're at home this very moment, then the voice of Jesus who most fully can and does animate our being with life and life to the full, that voice then is quite near. What a thing if we could be like that sheep who this morning turned our heads afresh. And so in the next couple minutes, what I want to do is lead through a brief time of listening for the voice of Jesus. I'm going to read some of Jesus' words from the Bible. And I know, I've already told you, the right words do not necessarily make sheep go and follow Jesus. Right? It's about the tenor and the quality and the love of the voice behind the words that, that speak to the soul. And so as I read these brief verses... I would invite you to ask the Holy Spirit to help you hear the voice of love himself speaking through these words. Ask to hear from Jesus directly. Jesus may speak more deeply, powerfully, meaningfully through some of these words than others that I read. That's fine. Each of them is simply an opportunity to let our heads and our hearts turn afresh to the music. And discover the lie, the emptiness that is the other voices. Hear now the voice of Jesus. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them. The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. I've told you these things so that you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will save it. 
What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Revelation chapter 21 talks about God's eternal kingdom as a precious jewel, perhaps largely comprised of individual, beautiful, substantial pieces who have been precisely placed together and forged by the voice of love. May this world this week glimpse something of the splendor and goodness of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven because the sheep of God have listened to the living voice of Jesus and followed. Amen.